Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insights from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am delighted to be joined by author, TED speaker and social entrepreneur, Hilary Cottam. In 2018, Hilary authored Radical Help, how we can remake the relationships between us and revolutionise the welfare state. Her TED talk on how we can change our social services has had over 700,000 views. Hilary is a social entrepreneur in practice too, founding and leading the 10-year social experiment Participate. During the decade-long project, Hilary innovated, tested and launched solutions, bringing together local and central government, commercial partners and the public, all in order to tackle the socio-economic issues that define our times. Hilary has lived and worked in northern Ethiopia, the Dominican Republic, in Southern America and the US, including for the World Bank. She has a PhD in social sciences and lives today in London. Hilary, welcome. Oh, hello. Thank you. It's so lovely to be with you this afternoon. Well, first of all, I'd love to explore a little bit or find out a little bit more about your journey. I mean, how have you become a social entrepreneur innovating solutions to public services? Well, I started out actually working not in the global north. I mean, I work in Britain and Europe today, but I started off working, as you mentioned, in Africa and Latin America. And I I suppose like many young people, I just kind of felt that I wanted to be part of changing the world. And I went off to join a guerrilla army in northern Ethiopia and uh, not a career option open any longer. I was on the humanitarian wing, I should stress. And then from there, I went to work for Care International and eventually with the World Bank and working in southern Africa on sort of urban poverty issues for the World Bank. And I think what was really striking to me is that in all those different sorts of institutions, I learned an immense amount from the kind of wonderful people I worked alongside and and the people who kind of led projects that I was working on. But I was really struck at the way that ideas that looked very good within the walls of those institutions and projects that were always very well-meaning didn't quite work on the ground, or they might work for a little while before problems re-emerge, but generally they took a completely unexpected and usually not very helpful form once they sort of touch communities. And so I wanted, that was the beginning really of a kind of much bigger journey that's still going on today to think about not just what we should do, but how should we do it? What could be different ways of working that connect all the resource and goodwill to actual lived reality as it is, particularly in communities at the margins, to make sure that things really touch people's lives in ways that can make deep and meaningful change. So part of that has been around innovative methods. And part of it has been thinking systemically, organisationally, how could I work? So I suppose that's the path that's led me really out of those sort of big formal institutions, although they're always really important partners and collaborators to a kind of social enterprise structure. And what do you think are the sort of top trends that you're seeing in this space? Well, I think it's really interesting. I mean, my current work is about what I'm calling a fifth social revolution. And what really strikes me sort of more than trends are kind of three big patterns that are actually globally making it very difficult for any of us in the social space to work in the way that we used to. And the first of those, I think, is that we have very different problems to confront. So whether it's the challenges of migration or 
living with older age in the West or obviously climate change, new disease patterns. What I think is really different about the problems that we're experiencing right now and very much in this century is that we have to participate to make change. These aren't things that can be solved by a leader, however great they are, whether they're a global CEO or a minister. Nobody can command change. Actually, what we need to do is motivate people to make changes in their lives. And I think the systems we have got set up, you know, from the United Nations through Oxfam to kind of government institutions, are not set up. They are kind of vertical command and control institutions. And what we need are very different horizontal systems. So I think that's the first big challenge. The second is that technology is changing our economies in really profound ways and creating very different family structures, very different kind of working hours and very uh, sort of continual patterns of change that, again, the kind of ways that we've been working can't grapple with. And then the third really is poverty, that we do see growing poverty. I mean, in Britain, we see really quite ugly growth of inequality. We had the UN rapporteur here last year talking about how grave British poverty is despite the size of the economy. And two years ago, Roundtree, who collect poverty data in Britain, had to create a new category of destitution, which means there's one and a quarter million people in Britain, including 300,000 children that are so-called destitute. They have nowhere to live. They have nowhere to wash. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. So we've got a problem of poverty. And what I think the big challenge is here is that unlike in the last century, most people in Britain today who are poor are in work and they're not paid enough to survive on. And coupled with that, we see this very interesting pattern, and this is global, of relational poverty. So who you know is beginning to determine much more powerfully what happens to you in your life, what kind of work you find, what kind of health care you get, who takes care of you, more powerfully than traditional things like education. And the systems we have in the social sector can't see those challenges of relationships and the kind of different way that we need to work, which is, of course, what I grapple with in radical health. So I think there's all kinds of different trends emerging, but those are the sort of three big themes that I think are making us see that we've got to challenge not only what we work on, but really how we work, and particularly how we collaborate across sectors to kind of grapple with these problems. So Hilary, I mean, you're talking about big, big social issues there. What do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities in your world as a social entrepreneur? So I think the biggest challenge is how to frame the problems that we're going to be working on. I mean, it sounds so obvious, doesn't it? But when I look around at sort of innovation and the world of innovation, what I see so often in my world is that what we work on and the problems that we kind of frame are framed within existing institutions. So if we take health as an example, people in existing health systems go out and they talk to communities and they're like, how can we improve our systems and our services? And I think what we have to do is we have to turn that question on its head and we have to go out and say to people, what do you need to thrive? What do you need to flourish? And then because it's such a sort of important break, this technology revolution is forcing such important socioeconomic change that from there we need to think, then what kind of health systems do we need rather than ask the question within? And so that's really why I set up the 10-year experiment in the enterprise I call Participle, because I knew that we couldn't ask the big questions we needed to ask within an existing institution. We needed to go out and have the freedom to put out our own questions and our own manifesto and then ask government organisations, businesses, communities who, with whom those bigger, different questions resonated if they'd like to join us. And that was the beginning of that work. So I think that that's the opportunity because there's so much work to be done. But the challenge is 
are we allowed to actually ask the right questions? Can we ask about what we should build now rather than shall we fix something from the 1950s? And of course, that's not just a challenge for sort of the work itself. It's a challenge for funding because most existing funding frameworks are set up in that same mindset. So they're about fixing old things, not creating what we need now. And also measurement, the log frames, the outcome measurements, the sort of way that we're expected to work. It's very hard to work in the agile way we need now within those frameworks. So another part of my work has been really grappling with how we can do good measurement now. Of course, it's really important to measure. We need to know if we're making a difference, but we can't do that with existing frameworks, which are backwards looking. Thank you. And I mean, in the context of a developed market with social support, using your insight and your experience, I mean, how can business really help to fight the poverty that that you're seeing? Well, I think business is absolutely critical. So I, I would say two things here. So first, the uncomfortable bit, which is that I think one could actually say that business is creating most of the poverty that I'm seeing. In Britain, two thirds of families are on welfare benefits because they are in private sector employment, which pays them so little that they can't afford to live. So that means that 70 billion of our welfare budget is actually topping up private sector wages compared to about 2 billion, which is on unemployment. So there's a huge mismatch there, really, with the kind of state and the welfare system being forced to subsidise business. And I think that that is a sort of category error, really, to say it in the nicest possible way and needs to be rethought. But then comes the kind of the second part, which is how we're going to build what we need for everybody to flourish in this century. And originally, I studied history. And I think what's really interesting and important about big social change that we've seen, the last big sort of social revolution being at the end of the Second World War, when we did create the British welfare state, but also the UN, organisations like Oxfam, they all came in the same period, is that there were sort of four groups who really made that work happen organised civil society, the state, intellectuals, not necessarily in academia, but people with big ideas that set the world on fire. And then what I call the new industrialists. So people who are at the forefront of business at every level, and who are thinking perhaps slightly differently to their peers and thinking that both for sort of enlightened reasons, but also for economic reasons, that we really need to rethink our social systems because without that, we don't have the right workforce, we don't have the right consumers, and we don't have societies which are sort of cohesive and easy to live in. So I'm very, very interested in the role of these actors that I call the new industrialists, and I see them as absolutely critical movers of new social systems, which clearly we need today. And so, I, I mean, my call to business would be, you know, can you, can you join that? Can you help? Can you sort of take on that mantle? So I think that what we see, you know, in terms of corporate social responsibility is really critical, but so is also the sort of bigger thinking about how we restructure things. And I suppose I said there were two things, but perhaps something else I'd like to talk about is the, is the actual role of individuals in business. So one of the experiments that I did at Participle that I most love was an employment service. So we know that employment services are very expensive and they have very high failure rates. When I go to job centres, I meet people going around for the second, the third, the 15th time. I work in Scandinavia, the US. It's a pretty similar picture. And so knowing that in our modern economies, again, different to the old economy, eight out of 10 jobs are found through word of mouth. I thought, well, why are we forcing people to queue in these centres? And why are they getting help to fill out job applications online when hardly any 
job is found that way today. Why don't we instead connect people together in new ways? So just to summarise, it's a bit more complex, but really we use sort of mobile phones and tech platforms to bring people together in real life to work on what's your dream and who do you need to know to take that first step in the dream. So we've been building communities that bring together people out of work and people in work and people in between. So in the communities I built in South London, for example, we had people from the finance sector in London. They were really important as mentors, connectors, and they gave up their evenings to come along to what we called meetups in a cafe and be part of that. So actually sort of joining in was incredibly important. And I mean, our service cost a a fifth as much as traditional services and you know had phenomenal outcomes 87% of people moving into or towards work so very much kind of greater outcomes this is based on a randomized controlled trial um, undertaken by PwC much bigger outcomes than traditional services and all because business played a profound role in that service. God they're amazing stats and I will put a link uh, to that website into the notes section of this podcast. And I mean, what would be your call to action for anyone listening to this podcast, Hilary? Well, I think two things. First of all, I think get involved. You know, we need to join up thinking and action. And particularly, I think those in the social sector, you know, there's a, well, there's a sort of group of us who sometimes write and there's a group of us who sometimes do. And I think to solve the problems in this century, we need to kind of bring thinking and action together in new ways and really begin to kind of create on the ground the new models that we need. But the other thing you mentioned at the outset that Radical Help, my book, is very much about relationships. And it's about how we need to knit different parts of all our societies. I'm not just talking about Britain here, back together in order to flourish. So I think just very simple things that we can all do in our own lives, which are, you know, getting involved, whether it's a sort of big lunch in your street or giving time to a project, as I've described, whether it's in London or Lusaka, so that we get to know, again, people who are not like us and become part in our everyday of doing things differently. I think that insight and that action is very, very important for all of us. And then, of course, there are other people whose job it will be like mine to to actually, you know, create these projects. But all of us can do something. I mean, the other thing I would say is that I'm starting out now on this new work about the future of work. And so if anybody is listening and thinks they are a new industrialist, I would be delighted to hear from you. My final question today, Hilary, we... These podcasts are as much kind of peer-to-peer support as anything. And so I'm always kind of keen to, to get your personal advice as well. Your career has spanned, well, as you said yourself, you were a gorilla to start off with. And right through to real change maker, TED speaker, author, social entrepreneur. What would be your advice to someone who's sort of budding to move into social action, social change space? Well, first of all, follow your heart. You know, when I was at Oxford, not interviewing for all of those jobs and saying that somehow I was going to find a way to get to Africa. I mean, of course, everybody thought I was mad. And, you know, I didn't know what would follow. But I mean, I'm so blessed because, you know, you said very nice things, but I have had the most fascinating career and I have worked alongside the most amazing people. And so I just feel so lucky to have had that experience, which I think came from sort of following my heart, really, and doing what I really, really cared about. So I think that's the most important thing. But I think the second thing is to get actual experience. It doesn't matter where it is or what it's on. I think the first step has to be rolling up your sleeves and going to a community where you can learn from others, basically, through the actual practice and the doing. It's a practice, social change. It's, it's not ideas. It's a sort of practice. And it's about, yes, about learning in the doing. 
Well, Hilary Cotton, thank you very much for your advice, your insights and your knowledge today. Oh, thank you for having me, Katie. It's been such a pleasure. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 